0: You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome. This is episode 65 of the Team Guru Podcast, and I'm about to talk about one of my favorite topics, giving good presentations, there's no way around it. If you want to be a good leader, if you have career ambition, or even if you have professional pride about the way you conduct yourself, you have to be good at delivering presentations. No matter the size of the audience, whether it's 550, 500, or 5,000 powerful professionals, effective leaders are awesome at engaging their audience, connecting with them as a human being, and sending a powerful message Delivering a presentation is an opportunity to be awesome, yet so often we see it as an opportunity to crash and burn something to be avoided. A lot of you listening right now, if you're honest, go into presentations hoping that you come out of it not looking bad. My guest in this episode of the podcast is here to change all of that. Emma Bannister is a presentation guru. She helps organizations and individuals of all shapes and sizes hone their personal presentation craft so they can communicate powerfully and impress their audience. So if you've ever longed to nail your time standing in front of a group, this episode is the ticket. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Emma Bannister. Emma Bannister, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to catching up.
0: Oh, look, not as much as I am, Emma. Ever since we got this interview lined up and we've had a couple of false starts, haven't we? I have been so looking forward to our conversation. This topic is just so fantastic. It's fantastic for me. It's, it's one of my personal faves. I think great leaders are great communicators and and like it or not, as good leaders, we need to be able to communicate to an audience an audience of 5 10 50 500 that's part of our skill set no great leader can't do that so this is a fantastic topic it's something that i'm really into and i know it's something that my listeners are going to be into so thank you for coming on the show and i've got a whole bunch of questions i want to ask you i can't wait to learn i've got my pen and paper poised to learn all these great tips that you're going to tell me about. But before we get started, let's set up your credentials a little bit. Emma, why are you the expert? Why am I coming to you to learn all about giving awesome presentations?
1: Great question. Well, I've been involved in presentations for over 20 years, and it started when I was back in the UK, and I was working as a designer for a bank. And when I was creating presentations for these guys, I realized how badly everyone was doing presentations and that PowerPoint itself could be a much better tool for communicating. So over the years, I progressed my design skills. And then when I came to Australia, I was like, gosh, this is such an opportunity to really help transform how people are communicating. And I literally set, set up on my own and built a whole range of clients who really um, appreciate what we do because there is, we can help communicate their message so more effectively.
0: Fantastic. So who are your clients? Who comes to Emma Bannister and says, look, help me with my presentation? Is it for one-off massive corporate events where they just want to nail it? Is it individuals who find that presenting to a group is increasingly part of their job and they know they're not very good at it and they want to work one-on-one? Who are your clients?
1: Well, we have a range of clients. So we we help people from sort of small one-man bands through to giant multinational corporations. And the services we provide uh, range from just tidying up the sort of way that the slides can look or really getting involved in the content. So literally having a discovery session to identify what their message is, what the strategy is, who they're communicating to, and then being able to write the message and visual support around that. So then creating the the slides and all the information that helps achieve what they're trying to achieve. So there's a pretty wide range of people that we can help. Sometimes that can be a small internal conversation or a CEO communicating big change. And other times it can be a a big roadshow. So we've literally just finished a roadshow here in Melbourne that catered for about 60 different presentations all over, the, over two days. So that was a pretty big deal.
0: Fantastic. All right. You sound aptly qualified. I'm going to hit you with my questions. Look, <laughs> now the way that we're, we're going to go with this, and, and I hope this tickles the listener's fancy, I'm going to ask you all about the power of good presentations, what we can get out of it as an individual or an organization. What's the end result of being awesome at giving presentations, I want to know about the formula we can all adopt to take our presentations to the next level, and I want to talk about the role that creativity plays in that process. Because I know not everyone thinks of themselves as creative, but I'm assuming there is a way that we can all tap into whatever creative juices we have and and contribute to designing and deploying that brilliant presentation. And, of course, the confidence that we need to deliver in a memorable way. That's the stuff that I want to talk about. But before we get there, let's talk about the other side. And we know that they exist. We know they're everywhere. We've all sit through them, bad presentations. Emma, I want you to – I'm going to test you here. Can you finish (laughs) this sentence for me a few times? I know my presentations are bad because –
1: Nobody is looking at me. Everyone's on their phones.
0: Mm. Wow, that—that hey, that's that's that is the start. Now, is there any way that you're doing okay, but people are just on their phone because that's what people do, or is it your job as as a presenter? If you're good, no matter how busy they are, no matter how many keynotes they've sat through during this five-day conference, if you're good, they'll get off your phone. Is that the message?
1: I think that if you're really good, people will stay really engaged with you and they won't try and multitask. Mm. I think when you're talking for too long and there's areas that they're just not interested, then yes, they'll be down on their phones and they won't be listening and giving you their full attention. So I think that a lot of the time, some presentations, people will think, oh, I'll just read this. They'll send the presentation out afterwards and I'll catch up on everything. Then I've got a massive inbox. There's stuff I need to be doing. Mm. So. We're we're very time poor, and so when a presentation goes on for too long, people don't give it their full attention. So I think that's a big area that we can actually reduce the time that we speak for, and that would help.
0: If you want to inject some energy and leadership expertise into your next event, why not invite David to speak? He'll get things moving. All right. What, what else? I know my presentations are bad because?
1: Because no one is clear on what they're doing afterwards. I think a lot of the time you can see a bit of a confused audience that they, they wish they hadn't been there and they're not even clear what you've said or what they should be doing. So there's when there's no clear message or you're not even sure why you're talking, then <laughs> that is also a problem.
0: That is a problem. And
1: it's also bad. There's also a lot of time where people get so nervous that it's when they haven't prepared the information as clearly. So then they can really start getting very confused with what they're saying. And that doesn't help either.
0: It is something that we notice, isn't it? When someone's clearly nervous standing in front of us, that's one thing. And, And it's actually quite uncomfortable to watch someone who's really nervous, as we all know. But the other thing is you get the sense with some people that, The nerves stop them from delivering their content at their best. They get a foggy head and they forget the direction they want to take things. They forget the way they plan to articulate things. Their message is less sharp. They leave important things out. And we're all just really wondering what the point is. So, that is a good point, isn't it? Nerves are a a big thing that we'll talk about later, finding that confidence to be awesome. Nerves are a big thing. It's not just because it's uncomfortable for you personally delivering or uncomfortable for the audience watching you. It's because the quality will inevitably be reduced. Exactly.
1: And it's not just the the lack of confidence, it's the overconfidence too. So you get the two schools, um, the overconfident, they'll just stand up and they'll talk for ages and they've got their own agenda and they haven't rehearsed or been clear on what they're saying, so they just ramble. Mm -hmm. And so it can be equally as bad, the overconfident winging it, I've done this before, I'll be fine. Yeah, I know more than the the
0: audience, so it doesn't even matter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: completely. And then you get the opposite, which is the, I'm so scared, I can barely whispering, Mm. and then they try and memorize their presentation, and that's where you get your foggy head. That's Mm. where when you literally get that frozen brain because you're not breathing, so there's no oxygen going, and you literally can't remember what you're saying. So that is equally bad.
0: All right. One more, Emma. I know my presentations are bad because?
1: The speaker's reading Mm every word, word for word off the screen. And the challenge with that is that we often as speakers will use the PowerPoint slides as an auto cue or the mm-hmm. teleprompt. Yeah. And when they do that, there is a real problem because this, the audience can read far faster than you can talk. So they'll literally have read all of that if they're still listening to you, because they'll probably be so <laughs> bored by now that they're like, well, I'm just going to go and read this some other time. Yeah. But when you read those words, it's like literally having two people speaking to you at the same time yes. because humans read out loud in their heads. And then when someone's saying the same thing to you, you it's like two voices yeah. and they just won't pay attention.
0: Yeah. Wow. I like that. That's great. And And that's one that no matter how much you talk to people about that, once they get nervous and they stand up in front of an audience and there's a number of sets of eyes on them, and all of a sudden, their minds has gone a bit foggy, and they can't remember exactly what they plan to say. They go back to their safety blanket. It's like when we we're at school delivering oral presentations in English. If you had palm cards where you wrote yeah. out the whole speech, you were likely under pressure to just read the speech. So. That's a really obvious one, but it's something that a lot of people find so hard to do. And that comes back again, or not find hard not to do, more likely. Now that comes back to the, the whole confidence thing that we were talking about earlier. All right, well, let's get to the good stuff then, Emma. That's that's what we know are, are bad presentations. Well, actually, before we move away from bad presentations, i just teased you with the good stuff. We'll go back to bad stuff. What kind <laughs> of impact can that have on someone's career? Why does it matter so much? Why can't we just say to ourselves, oh, well, I'm not good at presentations. And that's just the way it is. Why is that not good enough?
1: Well, because as your career develops, you've got to have a clear point of view and stand out from your colleagues. Otherwise, your career is just going to flatline. So if you're the one that is always too nervous to speak, then no one's going to remember you. If your presentation is just a kind of a noise and no one really remembers what you said, then equally, you're not going to be invited to do anything again in the future. And as a leader, if you can't convince and raise morale and inspire your audience and your team, then the, the whole role of what you're doing is lost. And it's the fact that we can have this opportunity to sell and influence. The goal of our presentation is to take the audience who walk into a room thinking a certain way and then influence them so that they leave with a clear idea of what you want them to do and where. And that's the stuff that can elevate your career and what makes people remember you.
0: So you can't just go with the line, or oh, that's not me, I'm, but I'm good technically, so I'll just get on with my career. If you have any ambition at all you need to be good at this stuff because we're not just talking about those rare moments that a lot of people will never do standing in front of an auditorium of 500 people. A lot of people might never do that. You might have a really healthy, uh, high-achieving career and not have to do that. Presentations come in all shapes and sizes, don't they?
1: Absolutely. and But you need to be able to have a convincing conversation with someone and be clear on what the outcome of that is, straight through to a massive auditorium of people, and they are completely different skill sets, but you still need to be clear on what you're trying to achieve. So, yes.
0: I think one of the things that when you see people who are ambitious and bright and proactive and ready to go and get it, they're people who see those opportunities to communicate as an opportunity to shine, as an opportunity to give an awesome presentation, whereas others who who are not so proactive or ambitious or don't have that same kind of confidence if they've t- been tasked with communicating some information or some ideas to a group, however small or large, they'll just see it as a bit of a transactional thing. Oh, this is just my job. The presentation part, my skill here is not important, and they'll convince themselves it's just the information that matters. Whereas those who shine, in in my experience, are the people who get it. They get that the way I stand up here and deliver it and own this thing That's what I'm being asked to do here. Anyone can share the information. If it was just a matter of sharing information, we could send out a document or or a slide set. But the point of difference here is being able to own this moment and engage, entertain, and inform.
1: Exactly right. So a key area of my role now is to educate people on what makes a great presentation. A lot of the time, people think that they kind of know what they're doing, and so they don't really um, seek help. But for us, what I have to do is identify between what makes a report and what makes a presentation. So a report is what you just described. It's a document that's often created in presentation like software, like um, PowerPoint or Keynote. And it has the research and the proof and the analysis of what you've been talking about. But that's not what you put on the screen. What you put on the screen is uh, visually sparse. It has the, the information that can support what you're saying as a speaker to help your audience understand. But the core role of a presentation is to influence the way that they think. So the way that your audience is thinking initially, and then how they're going to leave the room. And your human connection with your audience is what you can do during a presentation, because otherwise they can read the PDF or read the presentation after. You have this opportunity to Mm. bring emotion and stories and that's the point that you can really make a difference.
0: So you've you've answered my first question when I was going to go flip to the positive, what we can get out of it. There's, there's a brilliant line that a presentation is our way to influence the audience by making a human connection because they can read the report. They can yep. take that away by themselves and immerse themselves in the detail, but it's your ability to engage with them on a human level that you're giving up if you don't think about the way that you're presenting. If you don't put some life and some personality into it, look, that's great language. And and you've absolutely nailed why should we do that? Because anyone who's listening to this can think immediately of a million benefits of putting some human connection of reaching out to the audience and influencing the way they think because of the power of the way we're communicating. That's awesome. I'm sold. And I think a lot of people listening are sold on that idea. So how do we do it, Emma? What's the formula that we can follow? Look, if we know, if I'm sitting here thinking, geez, I do that, I take what is essentially a report, which is a crime, by the way, writing a report in PowerPoint because it makes people think they can present it, but that's another topic. (laughs) I do that. We're sitting here thinking, geez, I do that. And I know that when I get nervous, I read. And I know that when it gets hard or when it gets long or when I'm really busy and I haven't got time to prepare, I will stand in front of a group of people and basically read the slides. And you know, one of those great tricks that we kid ourselves into thinking Emma, that if we read the slide and then give a tiny bit of commentary, then we're not really just reading the slides. We're really adding value here. <laughs> people could convince themselves of that all the time. So if I'm in that situation, I'm sitting here being honest with myself and going, Oh my God, everything that Emma is talking about is me. I do that. I do that. What can we do about it? What is the formula we can follow?
1: So you're right. We all know that we're, we're often getting it wrong, but the challenge is it takes time. Mm. So you have to allow for the time to prepare. And there are some key things that we need to do before we even get anywhere near the software and creating slides. So we need to consider what the overall objective is and be really honest about that. Are we trying to sell something? Are we trying to motivate and share some ideas? Or are we actually trying to share some results? Like, Be clear on that and then understand what it is that your audience are coming for. Do they know that you're trying to sell to them? Or do they know that you're trying to share those ideas? So you need to get that connection between you, the speaker, and what you're trying to achieve and your audience and why they're coming then you need to start thinking about areas that you can build trust between you, the speaker, and your audience. So why should they believe in you? So it might be some qualifications, but it also is more than that. Do you believe in what they believe in? Are you trying to achieve the same things? So these start layering up that the processes that you go through before you even start thinking about the presentation. Then we can be starting to think about, what our point of view is, or our big idea, whatever you want to call it, but we need to have that topic in our mind that we can structure everything around. And we take that object, what our point of view is, and we can then think, well, how am I going to get buy-in here from my audience? What is it that we are trying to achieve together? Where are we now and where are we heading to? These are the things that we build the flow around what that core idea is. So that then we can add analysis and proof points as well as emotional stories and layer everything up so that we are creating a really powerful presentation.
0: All right. Let me go over that gold again, folks. So before we even get our hands on PowerPoint slides, and and I know that when people need to make a presentation, that's the first thing they do, right? They open PowerPoint and start... <laughs> Entering dot points into a box. It seems exactly. crazy. It's almost, it is laughable, isn't it, when you think about it that way? Because what you say we should do before we even get our hands on those dot points in the 38 font stuff, we should uh, allow time to prepare and think of our overall objective. All right, what am I trying to influence here? What is my message? And then I need to think about. How am I going to build trust with this audience? So who are they? What do they know about me? Who do they think I am? What's my relationship with them? And how do I use knowledge of all that stuff to build trust so I can sell my message? Because I've got an objective. I'm clear on my overall objective. How am I going to build trust? And then I need to be absolutely sure on my point of view. What is my big idea? Why am I standing in front of these people and how do I get buy into that? And I get buy into that because I know what my objective is. I've built trust with the audience and I know what my big idea is. And I've built everything that I say and do and show them visually to flow around that one big idea. Have I got it? Is that a That's fair big, summary?
1: That is a great summary. And it's about simplifying it. Often people say, I've got all of these things that I need to talk about and you need to simplify it back so that you're not overwhelming people with too many messages and too many points. So that is also really important. And then we need to finish with our call to action, which often gets skipped out or we'll, we'll say, oh, we need to do X, Y, Z, but then we'll go to questions and people kind of start leaving the room and, and the, the presentation finishes on a real anti-climax. So what I suggest is that we take the amount of time that we've been given, probably cut that in half for the amount of time we're actually going to speak because you know time is very precious and the collective cost of everyone in the room is massive. So we can speak for less time, take questions about three quarters of the way through and then bring everyone back to a controlled finish where you've got your call to action and then you send everyone off so they clearly know what it is that you want to do and follow up with them afterwards. Like send them a link, send them something, an outline of what you want them to do so that it, you're making it super easy for people to act.
0: Hey, that is good. I've never heard that before. Jeez, that's one of those real gold nuggets of a basic idea. Because you're so right. You could give the best presentation in the world, but if you end on questions, and questions can be anywhere from really granular, down in the weeds stuff to big, airy, fairy stuff, or even someone who's trying to challenge you with different information or show off their body of knowledge. Yeah,
1: that's true. it, It can
0: really, as you say, it can peter out. And we know from research that. When an event is over, whether it's a holiday or a conference or a colonoscopy, we remember the high point of emotion, so either you know something yep. that was really great or really awful during that point, and we remember the end. We don't necessarily remember the duration or much else. So if the end of our presentation is some really lame questions that don't match with our objective, that's what people will remember. Your idea is to cut the presentation time in half and then when that's over at the three-quarter mark or, or at the halfway mark, I guess, from halfway to three-quarters, let people ask you some questions, let them get their granular grains out and people to challenge you and pretend that they're the actual expert in the room and then you <laughs> bring it back on onto your agenda yep. with a really clear, what do you call it, a controlled finish. I like yep. that. That's very good.
1: Excellent. And it makes a massive difference. I've seen it happen because that most people remember less than 10% of mm-hmm. a presentation. So we want them to remember the important bits. Like you say, we don't want them remembering some questions that other people are asking. Yeah. So another important thing to do is to have that message that you're trying to get through to people and have that so that you repeat that beginning, middle and end throughout your presentation. And I recommend making it visually look different from the rest of your slides as well. So it really stands Stands out out. and punches out. Yeah,
0: I like that. You're right. The the stats that we often hear are about 10% of what you say, the words that you say will be remembered. But I think- it's 40% of what people will remember is about your body language, the way that you present. So whether you're confident or whether you're nervous or whether you're overconfident and full of yourself, whether you're owning the room, enthusiastic about your topic, whether you articulate yourself nicely and emphasize different things in, in beautiful ways, that's what they'll remember about you. I challenge you now. Think back to the last conference that you were at or the last keynote speech that you heard. Think about it now. You're remembering how that person was. You're remembering the way they presented. Like I said, all those things, their level of confidence, how articulate they were, the power of the words that they used, the message, whether you felt convinced at the time, you're not necessarily remembering the words that they used. Is, Is that your experience as well, Emma? It's that power or lack thereof of the body language and the presence that people will often remember from a speaker.
1: The thing that I find people remember the most is the passion of the Uh, speaker. So I hear the passion in your voice too. Like it's so authentic and real. When a speaker is really passionate about what they're talking about, then your audience buy into that because they're connecting as a human to human. It's not B2B, it's not B2C, it's H2H. Mm. And that's what we need. That's why stories are so powerful. It doesn't matter if you've got the finished polishes of the professional gestures, and that all of that is very much the icing on the cake. Your content is the most important thing, the, the content, the message, and how you position that to your audience. But then your personal delivery, and that's where the, the presentation comes in because we're literally got that chance for human connection. So you're right. It is all down to the speaker and, and being able to connect. And often people say when they connect that's about asking questions and stuff within there or making the audience feel part of the experience and we don't always have to do that because in certain cultures people really resist that they hate being sort of singled out and identified within presentations but we do need to have eye contact and we do need to explain how passionate we are about what we're saying
0: Hey, great point that you brought up there. Speaking of stories, actually, Emma, I'm going to give my own podcast a plug here. I've done two episodes specifically on storytelling in my 60-odd episode. Way back in episode 20, I spoke to Sean Callahan. Awesome episode about how to tell great stories. And Sean, of course, himself is a fantastic storyteller. And then, only very recently, back in episode 56... I have an episode called "Why Stories Matter," and I'm just delaying because, yep, it's come up now. Gabrielle Dolan, another fantastic oh, episode, all about telling stories. So, look, that's just a, a little bit of an aside. We all know intuitively how powerful stories are for us as we're as we're sharing and hearing messages. Those podcasts will step you through just how to tell great stories, when you should tell them, how you should collect them through your life and how you should practice telling them. That's a, that's a great point that you make, the power of storytelling. So yeah, we've, we've ascertained that people will remember what you say. Sure, they'll remember your message. They won't necessarily remember the words that you use, but they'll remember how you are able to hone in on your one big idea with your passion with your presence, with the enthusiasm that you use to deliver it, with the humanity, with you giving a little bit of yourself as a person. That's what they remember. And if you're sitting there squirming in your chair thinking, oh my God, I can't do that, then you are giving away a chance to be a fantastic communicator, a fantastic presenter. I Way back in episode four, I spoke to a guy called Boo Holmes, Emma. He was a fantastic interview as well. I was awful at audio back then, so the audio is not great, but uh, the interview was fantastic. And he talked about three key things, and that is owning the room, so standing there unapologetically, confidently talking to people in the room as if you deserve to be there and and they probably should listen to you. And the next thing he talked about was delivering with passion. And he talked about having clients that weren't passionate about what they had to talk about, and he said, "Well, make it up. Invent the passion, manufacture the passion because if you don't have it, people are just going to switch off." All right, now I've got a couple more questions that I want to get to. I want to know all about the role that creativity plays in this process? If I'm sitting here thinking that all sounds fantastic, Emma, but where do you get those ideas from? I'm not a creative person. What do you say to them?
1: It's not true. We're all (laughs) creative. (laughs) But a lot of us have had it stamped out of us. Mm. So there's research showing now how the computers and artificial intelligence is going to be taking over the world. We know that, right? Mm. So the computers are starting to be able to do automated processes of so many roles. But what they can't do yet is to come up with unique ideas and different ways of thinking because they're not yet able to do that. So that's our point of difference as humans. And creativity is around having ideas and thinking of things differently. So we need Mm. to come up with lots of those (laughs) in order to find some good ones. And creativity is not art. So we need to draw that line in the sand pretty easily, quickly as well. So it's not the fact that we are all, we can all sort of sit down and draw amazing paintings and and creative. That does take a certain amount of training and lots of practice. We can overcome our fear of getting things wrong and just experiment with stuff and have a point of view because that's what makes us be remembered. I was working with one of the top tech companies in Australia and they were telling me how they get, you know, oversubscription of job applicants every single time. And the people that apply to them are like top 99.9% in their res- results, but they can't think outside of the box and they can't think differently. So that is the thing that we need to work on because everything else can be automated.
0: So the, the point of difference that we can search in this new, brave new world of, of, artificial intelligence is our human creativity. All right, so how how do I go about kickstarting my creativity, Emma?
1: So, within the presentation world, what we want to do is create visuals and ideas that support what we're saying. So, for example, if I'm if I'm talking about a certain subject, then I want my visuals to support what I'm saying and help the audience comprehend and retain what I'm saying. That's Mm -hmm. the, so when it comes to thinking creatively about how I can do that, we can come up with as many ideas as we can as to what visual will help support that or what illustration will help support that as well. So it's around coming up with that, the message and then brainstorming. We use a lot of post-it notes and it's the good old trusted being able to, put out as many ideas as you can, and then being able to pick the ones that make the most sense. And that's, that's generally how we work. We'll, we'll come up with our, the objective of what we're trying to achieve, brainstorm the multiple ideas, and then put the presentation into a pattern. And from there, we'll storyboard any visuals that help to build that visual scenario for your audience to help them better understand.
0: What do you tend towards, Emma? And I mean, we all know that we shouldn't put the words that we're saying on the screen. We all know we should keep words to a minimum in our visual presentation. Do you tend towards more literal stuff? So if I'm talking about health, you will have a picture of healthy people. there doing healthy things. Or if I'm talking about health, would you be a little more metaphoric and maybe have a picture of, I don't know, an apple or something. I'm trying to, you know, you can understand my question. I'm I'm trying to work out where we go with this. Is it good to be literal or metaphoric?
1: You need to have a balance. So you can't be so metaphoric that it confuses your audience, especially in different cultures. Mm. So I've been at a presentation once where actually we were in Europe and the speaker was from America and he kept using metaphors and analogies of baseball no. and no one else got it. And there were all these photos throughout everything of baseball. And in the UK, that is just, no one cares. No. So it completely missed the mark. And actually it caused more problems for them because it proved that they didn't really understand the environment that they're talking to. Yeah. And for us here in Asia Pacific, we, we are very mindful that different things can, can mean completely the wrong thing of what you're intending. The websites now for finding visuals, there are some fantastic sites that you can put in a keyword and it actually does a lot of the work for you and that it will come up with, you know, if you're putting in team building, we want to avoid images that are things like... People holding uh, hands. Yeah, people <laughs> holding hands. We don't want locks for security. We don't mm. want these, you know, plastic false stock imagery. We want real people doing real things kind of like Instagram social media effect that we can connect to as humans. And that's crucial, but we don't want to go too far that it doesn't make sense. I was talking to a colleague once and she was like saying that they needed this. They were talking about sort of the boats floating and like that was the idea of what they wanted. It was something about setting sail for the future. But then somehow that got lost in the brief and they ended up with a rubber duck on the yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah. And it's that not, doesn't, doesn't <laughs> match the message. No.
0: Hey, I saw some of the presentations that you have in, on your website, Emma Bannister, and they are amazing. Hard to believe that you made them on PowerPoint.
1: Thank you. It's incredible what PowerPoint mm-hmm. can do now. I am a complete advocate the days of bullet points are really numbered like it's and it's not even the They're bullet over. point that's the problem it's mm. it's the words next to the bullet point yeah. but we can achieve things like hyperlinks where we can uh, like move around and deep dive into areas because there's now this sort of motion and zoom we can even do 3d render 3d and not render so we can even put 3d images in and rotate them around now so mm. The opportunities for architects and everything is huge as well.
0: I've listened to everything that you've talked about and I've absolutely loved it. I, I know how to identify when my presentations are bad. I know what the value is of giving great presentations, connecting to my audience, being that human, having that h to h contact that you talked about and and actually changing their mind on an issue. I get that, and I get the importance of me in the way I prepare and and honing in on my objective, knowing my big idea, building trust with the audience. I know about creating really beautiful visuals to support it and maybe even diving into the world of what PowerPoint can actually do outside of dot points. I get all that. You've convinced me. I want to be awesome at presentations, but when I stand in front of an audience, I freeze my mind goes foggy. I have no confidence and I've got nothing to draw on because I've never been good at this. Where do I get that confidence?
1: It comes over time. Um, yeah. I am That's, one the, of the that's not biggest... the answer
0: we wanted to hear. No, we wanted to know is. that there was know, a magic but... <laughs> bullet.
1: Oh, listen, I am one of the biggest introverts you'll ever meet and I used to be so scared of speaking in front of a boardroom just to answer simple questions mm. around a whip, let alone present. So I set myself a goal of overcoming that fear because I was running a presentation company. Can you imagine someone huh. that was too nervous to speak and they own a presentation company? Wow.
0: I assumed so, you meant before your presentation company, but you no. were like this when you owned a presentation <laughs> company. That's pretty crazy. No, the very
1: early days, very early days. But yeah. 10 years ago, I was definitely an incredibly nervous speaker mm. and now- I literally forced myself to go to America and speak to one of the biggest presentation agencies that I knew. And that was ultimately the worst thing you can do. Speaking to your peers is incredibly hard. Mm. And so when I realized I'd faced that worst fear, everything else became easier. But what you need to do is follow the rules. And we get nervous when we don't follow the rules. So when we don't spend all the time focusing on the content, then of course, we're going to sweat on the stage. We need to sweat it out earlier on with the content because then if we take the time once we're clear on that and we know it's right and we know that visuals support what we're saying and we're we're proud and we're confident because they look good, because we can drown so easily when the slides look like crap. So we need great slides. We need a clear message. And then we need to practice. Steve Jobs used to rehearse for something like 70 hours before some of his presentations Now, we don't have that time, but you can start by rehearsing out loud. So don't say it on the screen, don't say it in your head because it comes out completely different. Mm, So we need to talk out loud to our kids, to our dogs, out in the park, say it out loud, and then get a small group of people from work and rehearse in front of them because the more feedback you do it, it's incredible the difference that it makes. But don't try and memorize the words word for word because you can't do it. So the best thing... Is to have more slides than anyone ever says you need. So some of my presentations I'll have like a hundred slides, and it's not and don't like and you need to just flick through and things will help um, prompts expl- prompt, yeah, but not but not reading from the slides. Yeah. So and because we know that that doesn't work, but it will give you some structure. And then you'll build your confidence and you'll get to a point where you might need less or continue that way. So, That's, but it's really your passion.
0: So they're the rules. Great slides, clear message and rehearse. So people really do that, hey, they really stand in front of the kids into an empty mirror or to a mirror where they're just looking at themselves and they rehearse saying these things out loud, hey, is that what people really do?
1: My kids do it. We do all, they? Yes, they should. And it's so important because when we don't take that opportunity, of course, we get nervous and then kind of halfway through, we'll get our flow and we'll yeah. we'll be going fine. And, and then we'll suddenly realize we're going over time. So we rush and we sort of rush the end bit and then mm. the end's bad. So that would be my number one tip for any presentation is to never, ever go over time. Yeah. So if you're given an allotted time, then you speak to a third of two thirds of that time and then... Make sure you come in under every single time.
0: Hey, Emma, I feel like we've conducted a dual community service here. (laughs) If enough people listen to this and improve their presentations, we're going to help a whole bunch of careers because as we talked about earlier, being an awesome communicator to a group is a real shot in the arm for your career. There is just no way around it. That's a fact. But on the other side of the coin, we may just have saved a whole bunch of audiences from boring presentations and introduce them to something really awesome that might otherwise have been pretty ordinary. That's pretty cool.
1: Oh, how good would that be? It's my mission. We, we can change the culture of presentations. They don't need to be boring.
0: Oh, that's a great line. We'll finish on that. Emma Bannister, thank you so much for joining me. Look, this was as awesome a conversation as I hoped it would be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you for having me.
0: And that was Emma Bannister. You might have noticed through that chat that this is a real pet topic of mine. I got a bit excited at times. I loved Emma's three golden rules. Have great slides, have a clear message and practice. So people really do practice in front of their kids. Steve Jobs, up to 70 hours. You'd never have guessed it. He always looks so natural. And one last message from me on this. Next time you're asked to present some information, see it as an opportunity to shine, a chance to engage your audience and show them what you're capable of as a professional. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Emma on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it on the Team Guru website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. You can connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the principles and theory of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.